This is Chapter 54 of the WCBS Author Talks Podcast. I'm Lisa Cherenkovich. Hearts, those that beat and those that have stopped beating, feature prominently in our selection of books this week. So do a couple of fantastic covers. First up, though, is a story that tackles one of life's biggest mysteries, what happens to us when we die. Then we examine the debut novel from an ER doctor that explores female friendship and the heart's capacity for forgiveness. Is death the end? Not according to Matt Kozar, whose novel Angels on the Bridge imagines what happens to our souls when we die. He spoke to our Pat Farnack about the tragic inspiration behind his poignant debut novel. I started writing Angels on the Bridge four years ago when I was a reporter at WCBS. The book is inspired by my brother. He was killed by a drunk driver in 2010. He and his co-worker were walking to their cars after work. They worked at the Tampa Marriott Hotel in Tampa, Florida. They were on the sidewalk, and a drunk driver jumped the curb and hit both of them. And I wanted to write something meaningful and impactful and inspirational and do something positive from such a negative experience. And after my brother died, whenever you lose someone, especially someone tragically, you wonder where do they go? What's happening? And so I tried to answer some of those questions in this book. Why do bad things happen to good people? Where do your loved ones go when they die? And this is a piece of fiction. But it's from my imagination, and I hope it inspires people, especially people who lost loved ones. You don't tackle the small questions, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I've always wanted to write fiction. My whole career has been in news. And so before I even put pen to paper, I said, why am I writing a book? What is the theme? What's the whole purpose? And I thought about it long and hard, and I wanted to tackle some tough questions. You certainly did. um, Angels on the Bridge begins in a bar. Tell us what happens then. Book begins in a bar, and the author, excuse me, the book begins in a bar, and the main character in the story, James St. George, leaves work, closes up for the night, walks across a bridge when he's hit and killed by a car. And he immediately meets his spirit guide, this surfer-like teenager who helps cross him over to the other side. And on the other side, he meets his grandfather first, and then he meets God. And God gives him three choices because of how he died. He can stay in heaven and enjoy all this wonderful experiences that, that he's seeing. He can be reborn and have a new adventure and make up for some of those things he lost on because he died at the age of 23, so he never got to marry the love of his life or have children. Or God offers him sort of a third mysterious choice, and it's not exactly clear what that is, but God promises to reward him for undertaking that task. And ultimately, he finds out that it's to be a spirit guide for the man who killed him. So he has to go back and protect that person. It's about forgiveness and redemption, compassion and understanding. Now, um, it doesn't seem like uh, people really know what to say when you've lost somebody. They want to be comforting and all of that, but a lot of people will just say it was his time. So I guess it was James's time, and all of the people we've lost, it was their time. What about that? Um, what do you think uh, leads us to leave this sphere at a certain time? Great question. I tried to answer that question in this book. 
I personally don't believe it ends just when you die. I believe that there is spiritual growth that's happening in life, and as you'll read in the book, even in death. So the soul continues on and is still evolving and growing. And some of the experiences we have in life are teaching us something that will have meaning later on. It's tough when someone dies tragically or dies young. We always say a life cut short. Um, and it, it's hard to grapple with that. But when I lost my brother at the age of 23, I have to believe that there's a greater purpose for him beyond this life. And in terms of, to answer your first question, mm -hmm. I think when someone loses someone, whether it's tragically or to an illness, the best thing you can do is just say, I'm sorry, I'm there for you, tell me your story. And as a local news reporter, I was doing this on a daily basis where I would go up to people's homes, knock on their doors right after the worst day of their life and ask them to share their experiences. And some days I found that people opened up and they really just wanted to talk. And I was a sounding board for them. Some days they didn't want to. And on the flip side of it, they cursed me out. And, sure. and I was okay with that. Yeah. But at least I was there to offer them one of the two options. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talk a lot about, uh, in the book, fulfilling your life's journey and learning a lesson. And some people don't learn the lessons they're supposed to in life. And you, I think you believe that. I got that from the, from the book. That I do. I believe we all have life lessons to learn, whether it's compassion or understanding or forgiveness or redemption. And sometimes it takes a few times for us to learn those things. But in all the experiences we have, we really have to look at the larger context and step back, be mindful of what's happening in our lives, not get angry or mad about it, and try to make it a teachable moment. And at the same time, also try to turn a positive into a negative. Now, your character, James, what do you think his life's lesson was? I believe that James's life lesson was forgiveness, that he struggled with dying early. And he was in a relationship with a character named Lily, and he never got to fulfill that because of how he died. There's anger, uh, frustration, and you almost have to forgive in order to move forward. And that's easier said than done because – Personally, I'm in that same spot right now, and I'm hopeful that I'll get to that point where I can forgive the man who killed my brother. I'm not there yet, but I want to be. All right. That's well said. Um, another point that you made was that sometimes loss is the lesson. Right. Right. I don't know if there's more to be no, said no, on that. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> you said it very succinctly. How do you move forward after losing someone tragically or you yourself lost something? And it's hard to move forward. Uh, but you'll find inspiration in some of the strangest places. And I believe if you also look for the signs that surround you, the universe is sort of speaking to you, mm. and you have to pay attention to those signs. Do you feel a lot better since writing Angels on the Bridge? Absolutely. This project was for sure therapeutic in addition to wanting to tackle a lifelong goal of 
of writing a book and hopefully many more because I really enjoyed the process of storytelling. My hope was also to inspire other people who have lost loved ones, including people who have lost loved ones tragically, to look at it slightly differently. And I personally believe that my brother's always with me, guiding me, and probably here right now during this interview, and that provides me some comfort. Um, the Just something to add, the book's cover was drawn by a local artist in Brooklyn. That's really and, great. Uh, tell yeah. me about that. There's a little bit of a... A little bit of a, a backstory. Uh, my brother had a tattoo, which was taboo in our family. No one oh. had tattoos. So. <laughs> <laughs> he had a big tattoo he was really proud of on his arm. And he had gotten it done at a tattoo shop in Brooklyn called Brooklyn Inc. in uh-huh. Bay Ridge. Joseph Kenya was one of the co-owners. And so I asked Joseph if he would draw this cover purely based on his imagination of reading the book. I didn't tell him what to do. I just gave him the book. He, he drew this beautiful piece of cover art. So there's a connection to it. Yeah, I love it. I think he did such a great job. And the angel itself is not your typical cherub with wings. Right. <laughs> it's this aura, mystical figure. And, and it, there's no color. There's no race. There's no gender to this particular figure. So I really appreciate how he drew it. Well, is there any um, a movement toward putting angels on the bridge on the bigger little screen? Because as re- as I was reading it, it's a perfect thing to do. That would be fantastic. I would love to do that. Hopefully that's in the future. Uh, for now, I'm taking it day by day, and I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about the book. If you want to check out the book's cover, check out our Twitter feed at WCBS880Books. You can also catch a glimpse of it in the video version of our interview, which we've uploaded to our YouTube page. Another book with a beautiful cover is The Queen of Hearts from ER doctor novelist Kimberly Martin. I know what you're thinking. I shouldn't be judging books by their covers, but I just can't help it this week. Anyway, behind the stunning cover is a story rife with drama, humor, and one big secret that threatens a decades-long friendship between two women. I recently chatted with Kimmery about it. Your book, The Queen of Hearts, has been described as a mix of Grey's Anatomy and a little bit of Leanne Moriarty's Big Little Lies. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Well, it is medical fiction about two women. Um, One is a trauma surgeon and the other is a cardiologist. And they've been lifelong friends. I grew up together in Kentucky and moved to North Carolina to practice. And along the way, one of them is hiding a very significant secret from the other one. And that friendship and friendship itself is really at the heart of this book, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, I do think the story is uh, basically an exploration of friendship, and it has other elements. There's kind of a love gone wrong subplot, and there's a lot of parenting humor, and uh, there's a lot about balancing um, a a career and parenthood and motherhood and life, um, especially when it's kind of a high-powered, interesting career, like like being a surgeon or a, a doctor. Um, But I do think it's mainly about the friendship between these two women. So having read the book myself, I really am left with this one question. Who does the title refer to? Is it Emma or is it Zadie? (laughs) Well, that's a great question, actually, because the original title was Trauma Queen. 
And I, th- I thought it could have applied to either one of them. Um, the Queen of Hearts is a little more tilted towards Zadie, obviously, since she's a cardiologist. But, um, but yeah, it kind of can apply to both characters. And I will say that's who I thought maybe I have in my notes here. I have Zadie, question mark, the pediatric cardiologist, and the one all the men seem to fall for. Yeah. <laughs> yes, she's, a, she's an attractive personality. Do you plan on continuing their story? I don't, but um, my publisher has asked for another book about women in medicine, and I think I'm going to do a spinoff about one of the um, minor characters in The Queen of Hearts. Um, There was a a friend of theirs from medical school called Georgia who ultimately became a urologist, and the book I'm working on now is about her. So you're an ER doctor by training. Where Where did you find the time to write a book? Yeah, I get that question all the time. And um, at first, I I just sort of carved it out when I could find it. Um, When my kids were in school, mainly, and when I wasn't working. Um, And to do that, I just sort of let a lot of stuff fall by the wayside. You know, my hygiene was terrible. My house was a mess. And I wasn't answering emails. And, and, you know, it was just really difficult. Um, I loved it. I found writing to be really compelling. And Almost as soon as I started, I realized this is something I wanted to keep doing so much so that I, I restructured my life to make it happen. So I, I was serendipitously offered another job in an office building. They wanted um, an ER doctor on site because there was an allergy clinic in a big downtown bank. And they wanted um, an ER doctor there in case anyone had an anaphylactic reaction to their shot. So uh, it was a big pay cut, but I was getting literally paid to sit there. And so I figured I could finish my novel and try to get it published and and still keep a toe in medicine. So that ultimately is how I made it work. But um, at first it was hard. I love that you apologize to all your doctor's friends and your acknowledgments. What is it about medicine and hospitals in particular that make people think they should be so full of all this drama? Well, I love that question. Um, Well, it's a really insular world. You know, you're working so hard all the time. The hours are grueling, especially in residency, and you don't have another social life other than the people that you work with. Because if you're working 100 hours a week or 120 hours a week or even 80 hours a week, you're not meeting anybody else. And, And so... Yeah, there is romantic drama and intrigue. I really amped it up for the novel because it's a novel. (laughs) Um, But there is some of that in real life. I met my husband in a hospital and I know lots of um, I know lots of doctor couples and, you know, doctor nurse couples and that kind of thing. One of the other favorite things to me about this book is the book's cover. How much input did you have into that? I love the cover, too. I think it's gorgeous and artistic. I mean, it's truly a work of art. Um, I had not that much input. I did request that I wanted an, like a vintage-looking anatomical drawing of a heart on the cover. And um, the publishers thought that might gross people out, so they, they wound up covering it with this um, beautiful mixture of flowers, kind of their celebratory and their funereal to illustrate the circle of life in a medical practice. And there's some birds and bees in there. And um, the background color is sort of evocative of scrubs. And so they put all this thought into it. And it turned out to be a great decision because the cover gets a tremendous amount of attention online from all the book bloggers. And I can imagine there might be a few doctors somewhere who might actually turn this into a tattoo. (laughs) 
At least that's my <laughs> Well, that should be me, right? <laughs> yes. But that's going to pose a big problem for the next book where the, um, where the protagonist is a urologist, if you catch my drift. <laughs> well, maybe the, the cover art will have to go in a different direction then. Yeah, there aren't enough flowers to cover that up. <laughs> well, Kimmery Martin, author of The Queen of Hearts, thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, talk to me this morning. Well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. And that's a wrap. Next week, we dive into the science of awkwardness. If you've ever stumbled your way through a conversation or maybe a podcast, you'll definitely relate. Until then, we're on Twitter at WCBS 880 Books.